when I speak to people um, that I, like I, I genuinely don't even know, they say I love watching the women's game because you get on with it and you you yeah. get knocked down, but you get straight back up again. I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I genuinely think people like watching the women's game for that reason. I'm Neil Mags, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, it's all about women's football. As the Euros take the country by storm, we talk to Bristol City women's captain, Amy Palmer, the 21-year-old midfielder, started at the club when she was 16, coming across from Norwich. She headed off to Manchester United for a bit, but returned to captain the club a couple of years ago. She'll be hoping this season they can drive forward back into the Women's Super League. We talked to her about whether the Lionesses' success can propel the sport further. Will it ever get to the same financial level as the men's game? And what kind of challenges has she experienced as a professional athlete in many regards, what is still a sexist sport. And don't forget, you can become a member of the Bristol Cable. Jump on the website, pay a pound a month, and if you want, you can suggest some guests for this show. Enjoy. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, very well. Am I talking to you at the training ground? Is that where you are? Or sorry, the, yes. or the Robbins Performance Centre, I have to call it. Is that right? Yeah, HPC. HPC. Lovely. So you're um, taking a bit of a break from training. Are you back, going back into training after we talk? Um, no, we had a double session this morning, so I'm just I'm just out ready to, to chill this afternoon. Uh, lovely, lovely. And I'm presuming, we'll talk a bit about your career and, and everything that's going on at Bristol City shortly. Um, I'm presuming you tuned in last night. As we record this, everybody, uh, this is the day after a monumental win for, for England last night, 8-0 against uh, against Norway. Did, I presume you watched it it's crazy yeah very enjoyable watch it was um England were going into that not knowing kind of how it was going to go Norway on paper very very good side so I think for England to get that result just shows what they're about this this Euros but yeah, I mean, because a lot of people are sort of jumping and saying, saying, oh, you know, it's a thrashing, it was too one-sided. But Norway are half-decent side ordinarily, aren't they? Yeah, well, they've got their front three alone. They've got people that play for Barcelona, Lyon, Champions League winners. And mm. so on paper, they're a very, very good side. And I think you could see that from their previous game against Northern Ireland. They were very good. So yeah. it's one of them where have England just played so well, have Norway had an off day. But I think you can also see that from England's warm-up games when they played the Netherlands, they They've also got a very good side, but England managed to make them look not as good. Yeah, yeah. Hattrick from, from Beth Mead. She's on fire, isn't she, at the moment? Yeah, definitely one to watch for the rest of the tournament. And we're, talk, we're going to talk a little bit later about maybe what kind of impact the um, the Euros can have on the um, on the women's game. And uh, the attendances are, are huge. And, it's, you know, it's the fastest growing sport at an elite level and at a grassroots level. But for you yourself, so you're, 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 you're only 21, but you are the captain of of um, Bristol City women's. That's quite a big responsibility for somebody at your age. Yeah, I mean, definitely is. But I think throughout my career, I've had exposure to sort of leadership roles. And I think moving out at 16 has given me such a mature head. And I think that really helps me in that role. And you've been, um, we talk about international football, you've been capped at uh, under 17, under 19, under 21 level. And uh, you you had a stint um, playing for my club, 
uh, my favourite team, uh, uh, Man United. I'm a big Man United fan. And um, what was that like for you then, being up there? That must have been pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. It was such a good experience to sort of expose me to what I want and where I want to be at in my prime. Mm. Um, it was. It was one of them things where I was at Bristol when I got the call, and I was still very young. I think I was 17 when I got the call about maybe going. Yeah. And it was just one of them things I just I just couldn't not do. I didn't want to regret not taking that opportunity, and I'm so glad I did because now I know the standards that I need to be at and the standards that I need to carry myself on and off the pitch. So yeah, I'm so glad I went there. It was such an eye-opening experience. And that was joining the the previous uh, Bristol City manager Willie Kirk, who, I, who I've interviewed a couple of times. He he, he sort of he, he got hold of you and took you up there, yeah. Yeah, um, so I was um, playing with the devs and first team um, when I was at Bristol previously and uh, he sort of took me and Millie Turner uh, from Bristol with him to United so yeah it was it was um, really good of him to sort of believe in me and trust me in that sense so yeah it was nice. And you were part of the um, part of the, the team that, that won the title. But for you, sort of being around uh, around Old Trafford, being around the football club, it's one thing that's sort of changed in in the last sort of few years. That where previously women's football was was often took place uh, in you know away from. Uh, and not so connected to the men's clubs. There's a big, there's more of a kind of congruent relationship now between, you know, where you are now, Bristol City, also, you know, Manchester City have made great strides. They do Man United the same. They do sort of joint marketing as a club. That, that's, it's kind of changed. The men's game and men's clubs are closely more aligned with, with, with the women's clubs now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was younger, growing up, you never would see anything like that. Um, a few weeks ago, my friend from back home in Norwich went up to Manchester on a pre-season tour. Mm. And uh, there's pictures of like the women outside the stadium. I think there was one from the time that I was there and she just sort of sent me a picture and I was like, that's like, that's an old Trafford, like that's crazy. But Yep. Yeah, I think even at Bristol is probably, to be honest, the the most aligned club I've ever well, I've been a part of. And when really? you speak to uh, yeah, when you speak I, to other yeah. people, um, they're surprised at how how aligned we really are. I mean, we spend a lot of time in the same like area as the men. Um, obviously, I'm doing my rehab at the minute, and I'm in the gym at the same time as the men. They always speak. Nigel often comes to watch our training, like. It's, yep. it's not just, I feel like sometimes a lot of clubs is just the media, but I can mm-hmm. genuinely say that it's a day in, day out, normal thing for us to be to be speaking to the men as part of that. And being up at the same training ground, up at the same performance centre is is important as well, because you're, you're, you're there, as you just said, from a day-to-day kind of level. Um, what about also playing at, um, played at Ashton Gate last season as well, playing uh, on the men's pitch uh, with the crowd? Uh, something I know Bristol Rovers did did something similar for the Gascals at the end of the season where they put a game on after the, the, the men's game. Is that kind of part of a new kind of drive to, I guess, to navigate and bring across wider fans of the club? Yeah, I think so. And I think obviously you can sort of tell from our um, normal attendances compared to the ones at Ashton Gate, it's always much, much larger at Ashton Gate, which is mm. amazing for the players. And yeah, I think it really is about just trying to sort of make a bridge between the, the fans of the men's team and the women's team, because as players, we've made that 
we've made that gap smaller and smaller like we talk in day in day out so I think yeah that is sort of something that needs to improve on I guess because the men are getting nearly like selling out Ashton Gate every week so it, it needs to be a bit more of a one club in terms of the fans because our, our women's fans are so dedicated they come home and away every week so so yeah and your season starts uh, against Coventry um, and only in a couple of weeks now, isn't it? It's not, not far away. Yeah, we start our pre-season friendlies this week. Um, oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it's been very quick, actually. Obviously, we all get a few weeks off at the end of the season and then the girls have been back in for two or three weeks now and pushing to get the game time in the legs at the minute. And what about you with your injury then? When are you likely to be back? Um, it's still up in the air at the minute. Um, I've had a bit of a setback, so it's just one of them things. I need to get my head down and I'm working to get back as quickly as I can. But at the minute, it's yeah, still a bit up in the air. What have you done? Uh, so um, in the a game against Sheffield, at the end, near the end of the season, I partially tore a few of the ligaments in my knee um, and now I'm yeah I'm having a bit of trouble with it still so I've just got to get it right because when I come back I want to be sharp and I want to help the team make a difference and stuff so yeah I'm trying to get it right because previous injuries I've rushed back and, yeah. and things haven't been the way that they should be so I'm just trying to make sure I take this this one properly. Yeah well I wish you a good luck coming back I could spend a, a fair few hours talking to you about my knees uh, now, now I've given, <laughs> given up and still give me, give me yeah. I've had three operations on one and uh, almost four on the other one so yeah it's good to, good to nip that stuff in the bud early doors in, in, your, yeah. um, in your career um, what was it like for you I mean I guess it's different because I, I remember the days when uh, you know we had uh, Bristol City Bristol City Women's used to be Bristol Academy before that they were Bristol Rovers it was very much a, um, an amateur game it wasn't a professional game. Obviously, now the, the WSL, the Women's Super League, is professional and has been for the last three seasons. I guess, would, would you have ever seen that other side of the game? Has it always been elite and professional for you, so, you know, being only the age of 21? Or can you remember and see a big sort of change and transition in, in the last few years? I think definitely, even though I am quite young, as you say, I've, I've obviously when I was at United, it was very much, they pump a lot of money into it. So it was very professional, like facilities were very good. Um, coming back to Bristol the first year, it was when after COVID, mm-hmm. I remember we trained at SGS College um, and we had like a little, I don't even know, like a sort of like a tent thing. Um, that was our facilities. We put our bags in there. We had a portaloo. Right. Waterloo to use the toilet that was it and then last season was the first sort of season that we were coming to HPC properly like being able to use the facilities eat in here just little stuff like that like I think year in year out like you do see massive changes even though they're like quite small to other people those of us that are still here to have been at SGS freezing cold in the winter with no inside facilities to now being able to train at HPC fully every yep. single day use the unbelievable facilities even the chefs like everything like that it's just I think it makes us appreciate it even more because we sort of know where we've come from in a sense yeah yeah you understand the the sort of other side of the game and, and presumably for you growing up playing football um, what kind of challenges did, did you have uh, so I've, I grew up in Norwich, which is sort of the middle of nowhere and there's nothing really around it. So when I was growing up, I was in the centre of excellence there, which is... Oh, were you? Pretty, okay. Yeah, yeah it's pr- pretty much what every sort of club 
Premier League Championship men's side club. Do you remember Darren Eady and Jamie Kure? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I played with them as a as a oh, wow. as a youth. Yeah, both both. Yeah, yeah. he's a bit of, he's, he does Norwich TV, I think, doesn't he? Darren yeah. Eady now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he does. Yeah, growing up there, it was interesting because you didn't really get the opportunities that a lot of the London clubs sort of got. Um, okay, yeah. When I was when I was 15, 16, they actually closed the centre of excellence down, like the funding and stuff for it. So uh, when I was playing under 17 England, I was actually playing in a Sunday league team with boys. I was year 11 at school. Um, yeah. Norwich Centre of Excellence no longer existed because the FA cut the funds for it. And I was, I just remember I, a week I would play, be playing at St George's Park of England. Come the next week, I'd be playing at my local park with the boys at my school. Crikey. Like it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was very difficult, and it was, it was quite hard for people like us to take really as young girls because we always had the aspiration of playing professional football and for that to be taken away from us at that age um, mm. with especially with the players that have come out of Norwich it's, yeah, it was quite a hard thing to take and that's why a lot of us had to move to Bristol so like Flo Allen Lauren mm. Hemp myself um, a girl called Bethan Bro also moved um, away at 16 so yeah it was difficult um, but I think that's built us differently in a sense because we we've been exposed to so much and at such a young age. Well, it gives you builds you kind of resilience, doesn't it? And and how to overcome adversity and stand on your own two feet from from quite a young age. Yeah, definitely. I think I've. I'm very much independent because of that. And I think that really helps my my place on the pitch as well. And you came to college, didn't you? You went to what was used to be called Filton, was it SGS College to study at that age alongside your football? Yeah, I so I studied A levels alongside um, football, which is which is why Bristol is such a good place for youngsters to come because they really do that very well in terms of having your education alongside pretty much full time training as well. So it was good to be exposed to almost what it would be like in the first team, yeah. training wise, um, but also getting my education as well. Uh, as a player, then you're, you're obviously a midfielder. Um, what would you say your your strengths and uh, potential weaknesses are? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I'd like to say I'm a bit of a playmaker, I guess. Uh, okay, yeah. I like um, receiving the ball from deep and um, sort of playing longer passes and sort of connecting players into the game and stuff like that. I'd say that's my strength. Um, weakness would probably be heading. Okay. <laughs> Not a fan. No, okay. Not yeah. a fan, but yeah, no. And was there anybody you um, looked up to or you based your game on or anyone who influenced you growing up? Um, I think like in terms of, I was obviously a Norwich fan when I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. Still to this day, Wes Houlihan, unbelievable player. I used oh, yeah. to love watching him. Um, and then it, on the women's side, Jordan Nobbs, Farrah Williams. Um, so it was quite weird actually. I think I made one of my first appearances against Arsenal um, when I was younger and I was like playing against Jordan Nobbs and I was just thinking like, this is crazy. Like 13, 14 year old me would be but like buzzing because I'd always dreamt of that. And it's sort of at that kind of moment, you sort of realise how far you've come. I don't think a lot of footballers actually take the time to sort of look where they've come from. Yeah. Um, but it's moments like that you think, oh, like I've done all right. And I think that where it's definitely also changed for the women's game is the the money that's invested. I, I don't know if you managed to get a chance to see the BBC documentary 
um, presented by Alex Scott, which is currently on the iPlayer. Anybody, anybody listening, uh, I would um, implore you to go and to go and watch it. It's a really, really good watch. And it talks about how when she played, as Alex Scott, the, the BBC um, pundit and commentator, uh, football commentator, she she was talking about how it was a real struggle when she played for Arsenal. I think she's got like 150 caps for England or something that where they. They, they didn't have fantastic facilities. They weren't even paid, and all this stuff. And now, and now in the, in the WSL, people are earning you know anything from twenty thousand to 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 um, two hundred and fifty grand a year. That's made a big shift now, I guess, that people and players can have it as a standalone career, which wasn't always the case. Yeah, and I think it's. To be honest, I think it's like kind of crazy that you even would expect someone to be able to perform at the levels that women have performed at for so many years. Also, having had to have another main job as well. I've heard um, a story about Jill Scott when she was at Everton. She used to have to stay around people's houses on the sofa just because she couldn't like afford a, a hotel or club housing. Yeah. Travelling to work as well. Like I think, yes, it has come a long way in that in that aspect, but there's also a very long way to go as well. Um, in the WSL, I think it's getting a lot better, but in our league, the championship is still yeah, it's still got a long way to go. Like the likes of Coventry have folded multiple times this year. Yeah, like them, it's them girls. It's their jobs. Like you can't you can't even like put yourself in their situation really. Like having put everything into that that one thing and yeah. now having to find another job and being able to try and perform at an elite level competing against clubs like Bristol for example where we're oh. training at the HPC week, week in week out it's, it's crazy well you're sort of WSL ready aren't you and obviously you've been there for five seasons got relegated um, in 2021 you finished third last year so you went far off away coming back up but there is a you touched on an issue there there is a whilst there is a an increase in uh, advertising, sponsorship, TV deals at that elite level. It's not quite dripping down to to the league that you're in now. And there are some financial issues and problems and challenges for, for clubs to make it sustainable. Yeah, definitely. I, like I said, I think the WSL are, are paving the way in that sense, but there's still definitely a long way to go to, to get this league as good as a WSL. Don't get me wrong, every year I've played in the championship, it's got better and better, like more mm-hmm. competitive. But even last year, you have the likes of Liverpool who have pumped so much more money in than every other club. So they're always going to be favourites to go and win just because they've got that budget. So it's yeah. hard to make it an even playing field when clubs, some clubs are putting money in, some aren't. But I think the majority of clubs this season have put, put good funding into it. Just jump in there and tell you about the Bristol Cable. We are looking for members. So if you're interested, you can jump on our website, chuck a pound in, five pound, whatever you want every month. And you can get a chance to have a say in the type of stories we tell, who we interview, the topics we cover, and you can be involved in meetings and AGMs and stuff. So if you're up for that, then uh, jump on the website and do have a look. And back to the chat. I think one of the one of the um, interesting uh, developments why more money at that WSL level is coming into the game is to do with broadcasting rights. So where traditionally 
often um, the, the the women's game was tagged in with the men's game and it would be kind of three free and part of that where it's separate negotiated deals now which are getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, audiences I've got um, I've got some stats here which 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 are interested in the context of how many people are watching um, uh, on, on the telly I mean, if you look about the, you know, the, the the World Cups, the Euros, how that shifted and shifted and changed, that you've you've almost got to the stage where the uh, there we go. So in two thousand and nine, uh, there were two million viewers across. This is in in the um, in the Euros. Two million viewers across the whole of the tournament on television. Two thousand and nine. Fast forward ten years to twenty nineteen in the World Cup, there were thirty million. That's huge progress. That just yeah, shows, that shows there's yeah. a huge demand and interest in the game, which, you know, the, the critics and the kind of misogynists, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk a little bit about sexism in, in football shortly, um, that say, that oh, then there's no interest. There, there's, it, it's the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing audience um, watching sports there is. Yeah, I think um, when I speak to a lot of people, strangers, for example, they often say like when they find out that you play football, I prefer watching the women's game because it is, don't get me wrong, it is very different to the men's game. We're not as fast, we're not as powerful. So there's always going to be a big difference between men and women. But mm-hmm. I think it, what you get in the women's game is technical ability. You get to see tactics, you like press in, teams never really sit off each other. And also you don't really get the theatrics of it as well. So I think a lot of... How do you mean the theatrics? <laughs> I think like players rolling around to the. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people get a bit fed up of that in the men's game, and I mm. think when I when I speak to people um, that I like, I, I genuinely don't even know. They say I love watching the women's game because you get on with it and you you yeah. get knocked down, but you get straight back up again. I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I genuinely think people like watching the women's game for that reason. More honest, yeah. And, and less less theatrical, and I like that. And, and I think that the the you know for, for you, um, you know, do you, do you ever experience in in, the, in this documentary that spoke to people who experienced um, some of the different players at sort of Chelsea and Arsenal um, and Manchester City that on a regular basis get negative trolling comments on social media um, about the fact that they're you know women and they're playing football at an elite level. Is that something that you have experienced yourself? I personally have never really experienced it. Just, I think I'm obviously not as big as those players. So I think Mm -hmm. they're easier for trolls to get hold of pretty much because they probably get abused every single, every single game that they play. But I do see a lot of it on social media. You see it, you see it, yeah? Yeah, even... Even like silly things like on TikTok, if someone's made a mistake, it'll be all over TikTok and I'll, I'll look at the comments and it'll be people just like, and people like want us to watch women's football, like comparing it. But men make this exact same mistakes, but you don't see that on social media because mm. they're men, it's fine. But if the women does it, then they're rubbish at football. Why are they getting paid? It's just, yeah. Where do you think that's coming from? Why, why do you, and it is predominantly, just be honest, it is mainly men doing it. Where do you think that comes from? It's one of them things where people can't accept the sort of change. Um, I think when I was growing up, it was very much men separate to women. But I think people can't really get their head around women now getting paid X amount of money, uh, getting this broadcasting. Um, I know a lot of, I've also seen on Twitter, a lot of teams sort of promoting their women's stuff through their men's accounts and fans are fuming at them because they're like, this is a men's account, we don't care about the women. Mm. Stuff like that. I just think if people are so oblivious to 
to how good an elite women's football actually has come. Like I would advise people to, that haven't watched women's football to genuinely go and watch a game, watch the Euros at the minute. It is genuinely good football. Sure. I mean, I think there's an assumption that football is a, a man's game. That That's probably where they're coming from. With Without actually, um, and, you know, certain sports that people have grown up with in, in schools where traditionally girls would play hockey or netball. And so a lot of certain generation, I think, a certain generation of men think in that way when they think, well, it's, it's, it's women taking a, man, a men's game. But, but, but that's actually factually incorrect because um, in 1921, the FA banned women's football. And for about 40, 50 years prior to then, there were attendances at professional games going up to, you know, over 40, 50,000. One game at Goodison yeah. Park at 53,000. Um, and then the FA... Um, in 1921, so this was sort of um, between between the wars, and um, declared that it was this is a direct quote quite unsuitable for females and outlawed the outlawed the sport, and it was only brought back in the mid 1970s. Yes, the ban the ban sorry sorry January 1970 the ban remained. I mean that's four years before I was born. Yeah. That's just insane. Yeah, I think I think even when you look at it like that, it's sort of you know how sort of sexism in everyday life as well. Like women are in the kitchen, women do the washing. Like it's just it's just that old opinion, old fashioned opinion of I guess um, roles, like women and men's roles. But yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. So do you, does that play out then on, on in terms of the social media trolls or the, or the negative attitudes? Is it very much generational? Is it is it people of a generally men of a certain age and younger people perhaps under the age of thirty? are a bit more enlightened about this? To be honest, I think it's hard to tell because the majority of the people trolling, you don't have a clue who they are because they don't actually put their identity on their, see, on okay, their social yeah. media. Yeah. Um, it's hard because, for example, the, the lads that I would have played with back in like when I was at school playing Sunday League, they obviously grew up with me playing with them. So for them, it's normal. But like you say, for... Even to be honest, even when I was younger, there was a rule put in that I think it was at the age of 12, 13, you weren't allowed to play with boys. So I think even that was only like 10 years ago. That's that's, really, yeah, I know. And that's really tough. My my niece was a a goalkeeper in the the academy up at... um, what was then Bristol Academy when you used to train up at Filton. And um, yeah, she she was heartbroken when she came to the age of 12 and she was told that she had to... um, All her mates she'd been playing with... Um, that she, she, you know, she was playing, and then, and then she starts playing more girls football. But I think, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? it it's it's a tough kind of call. Um, but you played till you were fifteen, sixteen, and mixed. Yeah, so I I started off playing um, like in a boys team when I was like five six, and then obviously mm. up until that rule came in, I obviously had to stop playing then. Um, and then when the centre got um, shut down, I went back to playing. Uh, so I, yeah, 15, 16 years old. But I remember my first game. It's one of them where you don't know how the boys are going to treat you. They'll either not come near you or they're going to two foot you. My first game, I got a black eye, I got elbowed in the eye, and I was right. like, well, but it's better than getting like people not wanting to come near you. It was a, it was a proper challenge. And then I guess it's, I guess they look at look at a boys team and see a girl and think, oh, it's going to be an easy game until like you get on the ball and you start doing sort of what you can do they're like oh then they give you a bit of respect well what for you what has accelerated and propelled um the women's game forward in the last five years i'd say the sort of media side of it although it comes with 
the the downside of trolls and abuse and things the the pump like pumping money into the broadcasting getting it on sky sports bbc yeah i think when i was younger i i unless i traveled to watch england play or watch arsenal anyone like that if unless i traveled there was no way of me as a young girl wanting to be a professional footballer being able to watch a women's game and that so visibility is important isn't it that whole thing oh, around so if, if, you, if you can see it then you can be it so important I think as well sort of young girls being able to to look at these players and them being more approachable I guess as well with all their media stuff that they yeah. do yeah. Um, it's really important for for youngsters to sort of see see these players and realize that they can be where they are there is a danger as well that whilst we're saying oh you know the men's game does this does that there is a danger a lot of people would argue the Premier League um, has lost uh, you know uh, the working man the working woman what watching games they've lost their soul a bit they've sold out to a sort of corporate identity and at the moment the women's game does have that community feel so there's also a danger of, of leaning too much in that direction and you want to and keeping some of those sort of tenants that maybe you could argue at the top level in the men's game have crept away. Is it important for you to keep that? Yeah, I definitely think so. But I think that's also probably not the men's players' faults. I think a lot No, 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 I'm not blaming the players. It's the game no, itself, no. isn't it? It's it's, yeah. it's it's the game, you know, it's the it's the corporations around um around and you know, if you go down into the lower leagues of football, of men's football, it, it still has that um local connection to the community, but the highest level in in um in 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 the Premier League, you could argue it hasn't. Yeah, I, th- I think with the, the women's game, I think a lot of maybe a positive is that a lot of the managements and the staff um, are people that have played in the game. Uh, so I think that's a good a good way in, in which it will stay quite humbled. Yeah. And I think with the women's teams, I think everyone knows where they've come from. And I think they sort of know that their role in inspiring the next generation, mm-hmm. you don't want the next generation to come up and think they've, they've got it all if they're just you know, sat on the bench. Do you know what I mean? This yeah, well, there's dangers and pitfalls, isn't there? I mean, I've been around, you know, around, uh, um, I was around, I was at Southampton when I was, when I was a kid growing up and I've seen the next generation of kids around me that you know, made it, some did, some didn't. And there are pitfalls uh, on the path to becoming a, a professional footballer as well. There are sort of temptations. And and as you say about staying humble is really important. And so for you personally, then, you know, you're now 21, you're captain of Bristol City. Hopefully, you know, this season, you're going to be pushing to get back, you know, promoted and back into the WSL. Um, what, what's the, what's your ambitions? Definitely to get promoted this season. Yeah. Um, and on a personal level, just you know, helping the team as much as I can, whether that be me on the pitch or off the pitch. Obviously at the minute I'm mainly trying to be be that person off the pitch. But yeah, I think as well I I sort of really appreciate the youngsters that come up and train with us as well and try and sort of point them in the right direction. Mm and make myself be very open to people coming and asking me questions and trying to tap into my experiences as well. Because even though I am still young, I, like I said, I moved out at 16. I've, I've lived in three different places, played for Man United. I've played at Bristol. I'm my captain. So I think it's it's really important for me to, to be open and try and help the youngsters coming up as well. Um, just on the, there's a, there's a couple of um, uh, things that have sort of come to light in the, in the women's game. We've seen around... Uh, you know, we've seen a real push um, in the men's game for greater diversity and greater representation, particularly um, 
in terms of race. Um, and there's been a, a real kind of push to support Black Lives Matter, um, including taking the knee for the for the England team, which is you know very multicultural team. Uh, and th- there seems to be sort of that seems to be moving in the right direction. There's some interesting statistics in the, in the women's game. I don't know if we could just explore that. There's only three um, non-white players in the entire England squad and there was only two in the in, in the World Cup. Um, this was something that was explored in that documentary bit by um, Alex Scott. Um, is there a bit of an issue um, with uh, racial diversity in women's sport, in women's football? Um, I think it's a hard question. I think there's an issue of that in, in life in general. So I think, yes, probably is, but I think it's really important for for those that are in the England team to be massive role models for, for kids growing up. I mean... One thing that... Um, and a big initiative uh, which, which which should support and uh, people coming into the game more... And obviously this doesn't necessarily apply to you, and I don't know, I'm being presumptuous, but the age at the age of 21, I've got three kids myself, um, some, uh, and the, traditionally um, a career in women's football some people would and felt like they had to kind of sort of delay having a family and the FA have just introduced for the first time actually it's mandatory as of this season in the Women's Super League to pay maternity leave uh, for 14 weeks of the season. Previously it was at the club's discretion and this has been um, announced uh, by um, uh, what's the Chelsea manager called Emma Hayes said this is a huge step forward and long overdue um, and will have a massive impact on the women's game. And we're seeing players in the WSL now that are having babies and continuing to play, at, at, you know, rather than having to do after their career. Is this a big step forward for for women's, you know, women's uh, issues in in the game? Yeah, definitely. I think you know, you you look at the men's side of things, and that's something that they don't need to worry about. But mm. um, you know, personally, I obviously want to have a. A long career and it's it's one of them things that you genuinely have to sit down and think about when when you want to start a family because will you return to to the way that you like have been playing the form that you have been playing if you have that long off um yeah uh, a lot of players you know football's been their life and their income for so many years you know if, if we didn't have this maternity thing yeah. then people are gonna have to go elsewhere to get jobs being pregnant it's, it's ridiculous that there wasn't anything in place before to be honest sure and then and then and as you say finding it difficult to get back into the game afterwards or, or a fear of being um, you know and this is as you said this is something that, that that men don't even have to think about really that it's something that um getting yourself back into a physical condition which is why emma hayes herself quite interestingly has said she would in order to support players back in into the game after pregnancy she's um um, she's pushing for there to be uh, what she calls pelvic floor specialists, gynecologists, uh, menstrual cycle experts in the football club that can deal with these, um, you know, these these kind of uh, um, these issues for women that that will support and help them back into um, playing at the level that they were before. It's I, I got to admit, I, I, I which is in the documentary I was watching, it's something that probably didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, I think it's um, something that a lot of people that aren't in the women's game probably have never thought about. You no, know, I haven't. The, no, yeah. The um, American League and a lot of the players, you know, Sydney LaRue's had two kids and is back playing. Um, Alex Morgan's had a child and is back playing. This, yeah, it's quite, yeah, quite interesting. What's kind of next? Where would you like to be in, I don't know, two, three years? 
what's and what's, what's what's realistic yeah I think definitely the plan for this season is to get promoted um, but it's, it's one of them things that when we're getting promoted we then need to have a system uh, in place that it's not a yo-yo team we don't want to come back down what we want to stay there when we get there we want to stay there for longevity so it's, it's really important to, to build the team um, not only the players but staff um, as well to enable us to stay in the WSL for as long as possible because the club deserves to be there you know in its history we've played against Barcelona in the Champions League yeah that's, that's where we want to be at and I was there you know, Ashton Gate I was, yeah. com- I was commentating on that game believe it or not in the, in the semi-final yeah. Ashton Gate yeah it, it, there's been big success haven't there in the, in the past at the club I think from them those experiences we can really learn as a club what we need and yeah how we and can stay there yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely and I like how you said when we go up not if we go up Amy <laughs> confidence great thank you ever so much for um, talking to me uh, Amy really appreciate it um, just give me a quick prediction for where you think England are going to finish oh, I've got to say first <laughs> yeah and you get back in the WSL then you know you're international at different age groups so presumably you have an ambition to break into that England squad one day yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm still young, I'm hoping that I'll, I'll make it one day. Uh, that's definitely, definitely one of my goals for the future. Amazing. Good luck with it. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Many thanks to Amy Palmer for joining us on this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked. And we'll be back next week a brand new topic and a new fantastic guest thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked I'm Neil Maggs and a big thank you to Afra Evans our audio editor Adam Cantwell-Corn our executive producer and Blue Dot for our music and to hear more episodes of Bristol Unpacked you can head to Spotify Apple Podcasts or Acast or any podcatchers that you listen to your podcasts in